If you have your Bibles, please open to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue our series today. Today, our title is Sharing in Christ's Suffering and Glory. Just take a moment and reflect on that. Today's part one. For the next couple weeks, we're gonna be looking at this paragraph as we look at this phrase, sharing in Christ's suffering and glory. And that title, I hope, hits you a little bit hard, a little difficult, sharing in Christ's suffering. I I wanna share in his glory. I'm not sure I wanna share in his suffering. That's what we're gonna look at today. I'm curious if you're like me. For For the next few minutes, evaluate the way you've prayed over the last day or two. Consider the prayers you've prayed, the requests you've asked to God, and, and let's consider that for a moment. If you're all like me, I'll, I'll, have a, I'll start with confession. Uh, if you're all like me, oftentimes I praise God for the good things in my life. I'll give him like, man, God, you're so good to me. You're so kind to me. I thank you for my family. I thank you for my house. I thank you for my job. I thank you for the things that you provide for me, God. You're so good for me. And then I ask him to take away my difficulties. Does your prayer life sound anything similar to that? My prayers often sound like this. God, I just thank you so much. You're so good. You have blessed me so much. You've blessed me with this and this. In this, God, you are so good, thank you. Wow, God, I I love you. Hey, God, I got another list. I'm gonna go towards my second list now, and these are my difficulties. And now I'm gonna ask you to take away this and this and this. Would you solve those for me? I'd really find joy in my life if you took away my sufferings. So I've made some check boxes here, God. And if you could solve my sufferings, if you could take those out, then I will find joy. Do your prayers ever sound difficult, uh, similar to that? I think the reason we do that is there might be something embedded in the way I think or believe. And if you're similar, it might sound like this. Sometimes the way I pray indicates that I believe joy comes from good circumstances only. You ever wrestle with that? You think that joy, peace, fulfillment come when life is good, which means we don't believe or we struggle to believe that joy can come from difficult ones as well. Because if I want all the difficult ones removed, then I'm struggling to find joy that can come from them where our text today is going to challenge that thinking. It's gonna tell us to rejoice and find joy in difficulty. And that might not sound like great news yet, but my hope is today by the end of our time this morning, as we look at God's word, that we will see that joy can come from suffering. And that's what I believe God's word is for us today. So today, as we look at sharing in Christ's suffering and glory, we're gonna see what Peter has for us and the Holy Spirit has for us today. Can I read our text for you today? It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It reads this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's God's word for us today, and I wanna help us understand what it means. Let me put it in my words just for a moment to kind of help you hear it in different terms. I would summarize our text today this way. Peter is telling those he loves deeply, fellow followers of Jesus, fellow believers in God, that we can rejoice and be glad even amidst great suffering rather than only from the ease of life. That's what I believe Peter's telling us today, that you can find great joy amidst great suffering, that those two are compatible, where many times we think they are not, they are incompatible. I think it's interesting too, as you study the flow of the text in 1 Peter, remember what our sermon was last week about? Last week, just the verse above 12 is a discussion on spiritual gifts. And it seems like, well, there's a paragraph break now, so it's a different thought, right? He jumped from paragraph to paragraph, topic to topic. I'm convinced they're more connected than we think. So last week, we looked at spiritual gifts. Today, we're gonna look at spiritual attacks or suffering, and I'm convinced they're connected. I think many times, spiritual gifts result in spiritual attacks or suffering, and I think I can prove that to you. You see, when God displays his power through you, spiritual gifts, it may many times put a target on your back for spiritual warfare. That's how I think these are connected. Often when God shows up through spiritual gifts in his people, difficult times may result. The question we have to wrestle then is, what do we do when this happens or is it worth it? What do we do when that happens? When spiritual gifts are displayed, spiritual attacks come, how should we respond? See where our text fits in this train of thought? So let's look at our text again and see where Peter helps us understand this. He starts it off by saying beloved or loved ones, cherished ones, fellow followers of Christ. That's the audience. Those that know and love Jesus who have submitted their lives to him. I'm talking to you, those I love deeply. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Today, we're gonna look at this idea of fiery trials. That's the main two words we're gonna look at today, fiery trials. And then we're gonna look at their purpose, our response, and then the reason we can rejoice. That's our sermon today. Fiery trials, what are they? What's their purpose? How do we respond to them? And what's the reason we can rejoice? So let's first talk about the purpose. What are the purpose of these fiery trials? And what are these fiery trials? Let me define for you real quick, help you get an idea of what I think Peter meant by this word fiery trial, this phrase fiery trial. Literally, here's a literal wooden definition of fiery trial, burning tests. That's kind of a wooden translation, burning tests. That's why he says they test you, because that's what the word is, burning tests. I remember... um, 
When I was in college, I was a camp counselor at a Christian camp. And if you were a counselor, you also had to be a lifeguard. They just needed them, so they made you. And so I remember they sent us up to the UP in Michigan, up to Lake Superior, where it's really cold, and they made you do lifeguard training. And so you did lifeguard training all week long, just you're in the water, you're learning CPR, all that kind of stuff, all this head knowledge stuff, right? Do you know how to lifeguard? And then the final exam was, now go do it. Let's figure out if you can do it. So they throw you in Lake Superior. They make you swim laps, see how far you can swim without fatiguing. They make you um, um, carry weights from the bottom of the water up to the water. They make you tread water for like a half hour, something ridiculous like this. It was all of these things. And I remember burning that sensation of my legs and my arms and my lungs. If you've been to Lake Superior, you know what I mean. You just remember this burning sensation from the the effort that was put into that final exam. I think that's a decent word picture for this idea of burning tests, this exam or this trial that proves whether or not you are who you claim to be. Because I could say I'm a lifeguard, But when they threw you in Lake Superior, you found out if you were a lifeguard or not. You either came out or you didn't. And that was a result. And I think that's a good word picture for this idea of burning tests, this idea of um, a final exam or or a, a way to prove what is true. But I think this word is also very significant too because of, of course the Holy Spirit used this word in particular. And so I really hope as you see that word fiery, I, I want you to think of three things, okay? So you know temperature, temperature works, right? Like maybe your hands in some water that you're boiling. I don't know why your hand would be in it, but just go with it, okay? You're boiling some water and your hands in it and you're like, oh, it's kind of warm. Oh, that's really warm. Oh, that's hot. Oh, that's burning, it's burning. You see how like the temperature is rising? I think he uses that as an idea of like harder or more difficult or the temperature is raised on this particular trial. He's talked about trials in the past and now he uses this word in particular, burning or fiery. I think it's like a a greater intensity, a greater heat, more difficult. It's not just hot, it's burning. It's a difficult, difficult trial. Does that make sense? And he's particularly referring to persecution, when you're mocked or mistreated for being a follower of Christ. The second thing that I hope comes to mind when you see that word fiery is attacks from Satan, I think he's using that word on particular to make you think of satanic attacks. Remember I said, when spiritual gifts are displayed, spiritual attack typically happens. I think this is Satan. Listen to Ephesians chapter six, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I think there's a connection here to when spiritual gifts arise, be on the guard for Satan. He would love to, he sees that target on your back and his arrows are gonna start flying at you. And so there's this idea that difficult trials will come when spiritual gifts are displayed. And so there's this satanic attacks that are coming upon this church. I think he's referencing that. And then the final thing that I hope comes to your mind when you see that word fiery is something that Peter has already addressed in 1 Peter. It's chapter one, verses six and seven. He says this, in this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think Peter is addressing to you that God is also using this as a refining moment in your life. How he refines gold is by putting in the fire. The fire removes the the junk or the dross, the garbage to make it more pure. So yes, for sure, satanic attacks. Satan wants to destroy those who are being used by God, but God in his sovereignty is able to use these difficult situations, very difficult situations for good. And so I hope all three of those images kind of come to your mind when you see that word fiery trial, that it's gonna be more difficult. It could be an attack from Satan, but for sure it's used by God to refine you, to make you more like Jesus. So let me give you just a simple definition that I came up with to help you understand that word fiery trial. I I think it's this, extra difficult tests experienced by followers of God that verify our genuineness. That's what I think he's referring to. Very, very, very difficult circumstances that are, that are experienced by primarily followers of God because it's persecution. That's what this fiery trial is, being hated for being a follower of God that verify our genuineness or validate we are truly his children. Because if you look down in the verses below, and Pastor Todd and Stan will preach on these in just a little bit, look at verse 14. Verse 14 uses a synonym, or it's an example of a fiery trial. He says, when you are insulted for the name of Christ. That's an example of a fiery trial. Verse 16, when you suffer as a Christian. Again, he's explaining fiery trial. Verse 17, judgment that begins in the house of God. Again, an example of a fiery trial. And then verse 19, suffer according to God's will. So you see very difficult circumstances, probably brought on by Satan many times, but used for God's glory. That's a fiery trial. So it's different than those that are common to man. I don't think that's what he's referencing. I'm not, I don't think he's, he's explaining like bad weather or, or illness. I don't think he's explaining or describing those. He's describing primarily persecution, being hated for being a follower of God. And God uses that difficult circumstance for your good. So that's what a fiery trial is. So as a follower of God, church, we will face fiery trials. And these fiery trials are for our good because they test and verify whether or not we, what we claim is actually true. You say you're a follower of God, let's put that to the test. That's what I think he means by those words, fiery trial. In a simple definition, fiery trials are God's verification process. You see, when you or I are mocked for following Christ, how you respond when mocked reveals what's real. Does that make sense? When you are mocked or mistreated for being a follower of God, how you respond in that moment might be the real you, might be what you are currently like at that moment. 
I love so much, this is God's sovereignty. I love so much that the author of this letter is Peter. Think about Peter's life for just a moment. Was there ever a moment that Peter was mocked for being a follower of God? In that moment, how did he respond? I hope you're referring to the moments right before Christ's crucifixion and he responded poorly. Let me read it to you. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man, referring to Peter, this man was also with him, but he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was also with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Remember right before that, Jesus and Peter had a conversation and Peter, Jesus told Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. What was Peter's response? Are you joking me? You know who I am? I'm your biggest fan. I'm your greatest follower. I'll go with you to, to death with you. I, nothing will stand in my way. Okay, let's test that. Let's prove that. Let's see if you are who you say you are. And that's this fiery trial that I think Peter just a few years later, addresses to those he loves. You say you're something, fiery trials have an unbelievable ability to make sure that's true, to see if that is true. We were using this as an illustration with our, our preaching team. If you've ever been to a foreign land, you'll know that this experience can happen to you. An official or a guard can come up, come up to you and say, passport, please. And that moment, there's no line. I can say to them, oh, 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 I'm an American. Or if I'm in Germany, I'm a, I'm a German, right? I can say to them whatever I want in that moment. But there's one piece of paper that proves whether or not what I'm saying is true. The passport doesn't lie. Those are fiery trials. Fiery trials won't lie. They'll reveal the truth. So that's what they are. That's what a fiery trial is. That's what their purpose are, to test or to verify. Now let's look in our text as Peter continues to explain is what is our response? When we are in that difficult circumstance, that trial, that hardship, that, that tragedy or whatever it is, how ought, to we be, how ought we to respond? The first thing he says is do not be surprised in verse 12. Do not be surprised when these things happen to you. Do not be shocked, caught off guard, scared, nervous or anxious. When difficulty or trials happen as a follower of God, don't be surprised. I love how he words this in such plain language. And nothing strange is happening to you. When this happens, when trials, tragedies come upon you as a follower of Jesus, when you're persecuted for your faith, do not be surprised. Nothing strange is happening to you. This is normal. This is what it should be expected. The fact of suffering for follow, following Christ shouldn't surprise us. I think we do a big misservice when somebody new comes to faith and we explain to them like, man, you've made the best decision in your life. It's gonna be easy from now on. You got God on your side. Everything's gonna go well. I think we do a misservice if we set them up for a life of ease and, and problem-free where the text is very clear to us that trials come. 
don't be surprised. When, when your faith is tested, when what you say is put on display, we should not be tested by that. Nothing strange is happening to you. It's interesting because I'm in a room full of people that probably, I don't know you all real well, aren't facing these type of fiery trials, persecution. North Americans, probably not many of us, if any of us, are facing difficulties, hardship, persecution for being a follower of God. And you might feel a little guilt. Like, man, nobody hates me because I'm a Christian. I need to go stir something up. I think I can fix this. No, relax for a moment, lower the guilt, because the amount of suffering isn't explained in our text. That he never says that suffering is always consistent. What he's doing is, is he's preparing us for that day. When that day comes, when you're mistreated or hated for being a follower of God, this is how you ought to respond. So I'm prepping you today. I'm prepping myself today. The word of God is prepping us for if that day were to come. How in that moment should we respond? Number one, don't be surprised. Here's number two, rejoice. Isn't that interesting? I think it's fascinating. When trials and tragedies and, and difficulties and hardship, when you're made fun of and mocked and maligned and mistreated, in that moment, rejoice. We are told to do something radical. Instead of sorrowing, which might seem to be the normal human response. Oh man, it's so hard. This is so difficult. Man, God, can't you take it from me? Instead of sorrowing, rejoice. Instead of running, rejoice. Instead of solving, rejoice. In that moment, that difficult moment, be grateful. Celebrate. Be filled with joy that this is happening to you. And this is not the first time that Peter has told us to do this. It's a refrain. He's saying it again. When difficult times come for followers of Christ, count it joy. 1 Peter 1.6, if this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, in this you rejoice, this difficulty, this hardship. Can you imagine? Again, I'm the small groups guy, so I gotta continue to promote small groups. Imagine in two weeks, you're at your small group, your great small group leader has you sitting around a, a living room area and they're like, all right, let's go around and introduce ourselves. I would like to get to know each other a little bit. Share your name, tell us about your family and tell us a blessing. How has God blessed you in the last couple of weeks? Can you imagine you're going around the circle and it's like, all right, I'm up, I'm up. Hey, my name's Travis Walker. My wife's name's Casey. Uh, yeah, we've been coming to this church for a few years and yeah, I, I have a blessing. Um, two weeks ago, I was mocked and beaten and bad upon for being a follower of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine that moment? That would be a little odd, wouldn't it? That's what our text was referring to here. In that moment of great disaster and tragedy and, and difficulty, in that very moment, you have the ability to rejoice. Understand how good that is, how great it is for you. It, it, I was mocked and yet I can rejoice for that. That would be an interesting moment. You're probably like, Travis, that's ridiculous. That's such a terrible example. That would never happen. Nobody can do that. There's a story in the book of Acts that's that exact moment. Acts chapter five, here's the apostles. And the apostles just got out of a council where they were beaten, 
and, and mistreated and mocked. And then they're set free, okay? This is Acts chapter five, after they're beaten and mistreated and persecuted. Acts chapter five, verse 41 says this. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What a beautiful moment. I'm telling you, this is something that is true and, and, and possible for those that are followers of Jesus. When tragedies happen, you have the opportunity to respond and say, thank you, God, that I could be recognized as a follower of Jesus, that I could be counted worthy to be a representative of his. Bring it on. Let's continue to do that. That I could be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name we have the opportunity to re rejoice. And now he doesn't just give us a blanket command. He just doesn't tell us what to do with no, no explanation. Verse 13, he gives us reasons to rejoice. Like he doesn't just say rejoice. Okay, followers of Jesus, do this, good luck. No, he, say, he grounds it in truth. He takes a very difficult command that when tragedy happens, rejoice. And then he grounds it in truth to help you see, okay, I have the power now to do what he's called me to do. That's verse 13, reasons to rejoice. And the first one he tells us, the first reason you can rejoice in great suffering is because you share in Christ's sufferings. This is where we get our title from for the next several weeks. In this, you rejoice because you're sharing in Christ's suffering. You see, this experience, this fiery trial allows you to share what Christ experienced for you. And that connection with Christ is worth rejoicing over. You experience this small suffering compared to what Christ endured, and that connection to Christ is worth rejoicing over. Like, oh my goodness, Jesus did this for me? Man, how terrible and how hard this feels right now and how quickly I wanna get out of it. Jesus did this for me? Thank you, Jesus, I love you. That connection you now have with him on a deeper level is worth rejoicing over, even though it's terribly difficult. You now know what Christ did for you. We've all had these shared experiences where you meet somebody who's gone through a similar thing than you, and all of a sudden there's like a brotherhood or a connection. Maybe you meet somebody that went to the same college as you, and you're like, oh, you're an alumnus too? Oh, you get it. You, yeah, you know what it was like. Or you meet somebody that grew up in the same town as you, like, wait a minute, you're from Clark Summit, Pennsylvania? I bet you went to Abingdon Heights, didn't you? Oh man, like there's an instant brotherhood. I've never met you before, but we have shared experiences. We know what each other went through. I can guarantee you this, every one of you in this room has gone through something difficult. And in that moment, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're the only one that's ever gone through this. It's a terrible experience. How could God allow this to happen? But then the very next day, you realized all you did was you joined a club you never wanted to be a part of. My wife and I have the unfortunate experience of being in the miscarriage club. And that day when we miscarried, we thought God had abandoned us. We thought he'd let us down and he failed us. It was the worst thing in the world. We thought we were all alone. We're sitting in our living room just crying. Oh God, this is terrible. No one's ever endured anything like this before. And then the next day, what did we learn? 
or just in a club we never wanted to be a part of, all of a sudden you start connecting with other people. Oh, we've, mis- we've miscarried. Oh, we've miscarried. Oh, we know exactly what you're feeling. We got you. We're praying for you. What do you need? We got you. And all of a sudden there's this connection. There's this brotherhood of others who have endured and God's been good and faithful to them too. That's that shared experience that he's talking about. In December, I lost my dad. And I just thought again too, God let me down. He failed me. This is the worst experience in the world. No one's ever gone through anything like that. And again, what I learned the next day, I'm just in a club of guys who've lost their dad. And by God's grace, I realized I had my dad for pretty long compared to some just in a club I didn't wanna be a part of. Now I have that shared brotherhood, that connection. Like, oh, you lost your dad too? Yeah, you know what it feels like. Those waves of grief that come. Yeah, we're brothers now. I get it. So grateful for you, man. That's what he's talking about, that shared experience. You now understand what Christ did for you on a deeper level. Man, Christ did this for me. He endured. He didn't say no. He didn't quit. At any moment, Jesus could have ended the suffering. At any moment, Jesus could have been like, I'm done. I don't love him that much. I'm out. And he endured. And the moment you suffer for being a follower of his, you're like, Jesus loves me on a level I never I never understood. And this is what is true for those who suffer for following Christ. It's a connection that you have shared in Christ's suffering. Let me give you just a brief definition that we'll use in the, in the weeks going forward. A definition of sharing in Christ's suffering. Experiencing the what, so what Christ went through, and experiencing the why, why Christ went through it, of righteous persecution just like Christ. That suffering gives you knowledge you didn't know. Man, this is what Christ went through. This is why he went through it. Oh man, I can rejoice that I now know what Christ has done for me on a deeper level. Experiencing the what and why of righteous persecution, just like Christ. And then he gives us a couple reasons. He gives us a second reason, sorry. The first is that we can share in Christ's suffering And the second reason we can rejoice is that when his glory is revealed, see that phrase at the very end of verse 13, when his glory is revealed, it's an interesting phrase. Let me give you three possible understandings of that phrase, when his glory is revealed. The first one's probably the one you come to most naturally, future glory revealed, Christ's return. That when you suffer, and I think this is one of the possible understandings of that verse, when you endure suffering, something happens that makes you long for Christ's return. And that is so good. Because many times we fall in love with earth. We build our little kingdoms. We build our little homes and our vacation homes and our toys and our stuff. And we're like, isn't earth awesome? And Christ allows us to endure some suffering so that our heart longs for home. And in that you rejoice because you were not meant for this earth. You were meant for eternity with your heavenly father and suffering like nothing else has the opportunity as the, does the amazing work of reminding you, I want to see Jesus, not my boat. Does that make sense? Suffering gives you that privilege of understanding. I long for Jesus. So I think that's one of the, de- the reasons he says that when his glory is revealed. Another one is I think it makes you think of death. Again, this is probably not normal for North Americans. I don't think anybody in here will be persecuted to the point of death for being a follower of Christ. But I want you to know that's uncommon. 
The very fact that we won't face death for being a follower of Jesus, that's uncommon. For most of the history of the church, persecution to the point of death, that was what was common. We're unique. And so I think when you read verse 13, you're supposed to think of, wait, persecution could lead to death. That's the moment when God's glory is revealed. The moment when you lose your head for being a follower of Jesus, you instantly see Jesus. His glory is revealed. His arms are open wide, embracing you home, saying, I got you. I think for many, that persecution led to their immediate realization or revelation of Jesus's glory. And it makes you long for that too. Like I'm worthy or it's, it's worth it. If that's what God calls me to do, I'm willing. And then I think the third one is true as well. I think that phrase, when his glory is revealed, I think it's possible that God's glory is revealed to others in your great moments of suffering. I think it's possible and it happens where when you suffer for being a Christ follower, for his name's sake, God's glory is revealed to others. And it's only through that suffering that God's glory is revealed to others. That by you going through it and your righteous response to that suffering displays the glory of God where people are astonished by that. You see, I mentioned earlier, I think many times spiritual gifts result in spiritual warfare. A righteous response to spiritual warfare displays God's glory well. I think I can prove it to you too, because this is the common narrative the apostles experienced in the first century. And we shouldn't be surprised if we experience the same. God would show up mightily through the spiritual gifts. Instantly, there would be spiritual warfare or, or um, disaster, tragedy. And then through that, God's glory would be displayed and people would be astonished. Let me show you one from the Old Testament. This one's right on the nose. It's so spot on to our text. The book of Daniel, Daniel chapter one, two, and three. In Daniel chapter one and two, you see spiritual gifts displayed. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a bunch of uh, the Israelites are pulled away. They're held in captivity and they're uh, fed the food of the, of the kings and the courts, right? They're fed all the best food. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they decide to pass on the king's food and they do a fast, just water and bread. And in that moment of fasting, God allows them to grow healthier, okay? Spiritual gifts. God's power is displayed in self-control. Then in chapter two, you see that Daniel receives the ability to interpret dreams. Again, God's power is displayed through the fast and through the dreams. What's the result of spiritual gifts? Spiritual attacks. Nebuchadnezzar displays a great gold statue and he demands that everyone worship the statue. What's his goal? To get rid of the God followers to get rid of anybody who disobeys, they'd be put to death. What's he do? He starts a furnace, literally a fiery trial. And anyone that refuses to bow the knee to the gold statue will be put into the fiery trial, spot on to exactly what our text says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow the knee. They will obey God, even if it means persecution. What happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're thrown in the fiery trial. 
Let's see if our text fits. Spiritual gifts, spiritual attacks, is God's glory revealed in the midst of spiritual attacks? This is Daniel chapter three, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, a Christophany. Christ is appearing. His glory is revealed. You see, God's glory is revealed as a result of great suffering. And probably it's fair to say only because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to endure great suffering was God's glory revealed in the person of Jesus Christ in the fire. Just a beautiful story, which proves 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 is true. Church, true followers of God, God does something in us that makes us desire his glory to be revealed more than our own comfort. I am not there. I'm the first to admit, I love comfort. I'm a work in progress. I'm a mess. I do not exhibit 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 well. But by God's grace, he's working on me to where I will desire his glory revealed more than my own comfort. And he'll do the same. He'll do the same for you. Let's just bring this home. Let's help this make sense. I think fiery trials will come, church. Beloved, my church family, fiery trials will come. When they come, rather than sorrow, rejoice. What God will do through your trial is better or more significant than your comfort. And that might sound really difficult, church, but I promise you it's true. Let me put it to you in a take-home truth. Let me just word it one more way to help you once again see what I think our text is, is saying to us today. Here's your take-home truth, truth today, church. God's glory revealed is more important than my momentary comfort. God's glory revealed is more important than my momentary comfort. And if that is true, I'm willing to rejoice in the midst of fiery trials. That makes sense? That's okay, I rejoice. Thank you, God, for counting me worthy being called to your name. I rejoice. And God will give you the strength and endurance to endure. Let me read you one more text just to help cement this, just to show you the whole book, the whole Bible points to the same story. This is Philippians chapter three. Let me just read this for you today. It says, indeed, this is Paul echoing what Peter says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Jesus is better than anything, any possession. I'd rather know Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings 
becoming like him in his death. Church, I believe that's the apostles' prayers, prayer for you. And it's my prayer for you as well, that you would know Christ and the power of his resurrection through suffering. So church, when suffering comes, rejoice.